Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com There's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is Does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So there's a definitely a, a brand new background to Cody's office that we're seeing. Carl, I understand why you have a new office. You've moved houses. Um, Cody, why have you got a new office? I went to Idaho for a week, and my lovely and beautiful wife decided she wanted it somewhere else. Just, you know, whilst you're out the house hunting, things get moved around on you, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Really, uh, as long as... It, it, I don't have a problem with it at all. When's the man shed going to be available? Uh, I thought she might have moved you into the man shed in that week. No, there's no power or internet there yet. Um, there's really like kind of two sheds happening. I have a shop going up um, and then we have a cabin. And my son is here right now. We uh, framed out a bunch of it. We made big progress on the cabin today. So you're setting up sort of an excuse to one of your only jobs that you have is to send out articles for the roundup the day before. Yep. And well, the, go I ahead, Carl. Wasn't, hold wasn't, on. Doing, wasn't doing anything yesterday. I have no he, excuse. He really didn't he really didn't screw me because Cody doesn't remember that he shared your I don't even know what it is. I've had the articles I've already That's read about right. Back I, up I, Jack. I, I had them all, but it was funny is is twenty minutes before getting on, he sent them to me. It was like, "Hey, you got twenty minutes." But I have the I, I can access the roundup articles in advance, so I, I I read them the other day. That's right. That's how locked on I am. I didn't even need to send the damn thing. <laughs> Shit, you guys are colluding against me, fuckers, man. Terrible, terrible. So, um, last week on the roundup, um. 
We missed you, Cody. Uh, ben Cassie and I had a great, a great uh, roundup discussing Dikembe Mutombo, Mister No Wag, you know, No the wagging the finger, no kind of deal. And uh, I was explaining to Ben and the world that listens to our roundup the updates that I was getting out of Idaho. Well, honestly, it was it was an update. And it it relegated itself to one picture. And that one picture was of a QU-clad individual with blonde locks flowing out of the the cap. And I honestly, for a second, was like, did did Cody join them? Like, little Cody join them for the hunt? And is he out of the Marine Corps and he grew his hair out? And the more I studied it, I was like, I think Carver has, like, really embraced this idea of retirement and has, you know, really let his locks come out and curl under the baseball cap that he, that he typically wears. And True or not true, Carver? Oh, yeah, that's totally true. I, I told Kirsten that I'm growing a mullet and um, she gave me the, if you think that that's going to happen, I'll cut it while you're asleep. Look, <laughs> but... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm growing it out. It's been, uh, I haven't had hair this long, actually, probably since sophomore year in high school. Wowza. Yeah, because I, I cut my hair my sophomore year and kept it fairly short. Amazing. Um, yeah. Well, that, that picture also showed a lot, of, a lot of interesting artifacts as well. There was a, a big moose paddle on the back of the, of the pack, a rifle. Uh, slung over the shoulder, and we were trying to decipher, you know, what what the picture was about because clearly there was nothing dead in the picture. There was no antlers in the picture, uh, a random moose shed that had been picked up. So, you know, we were just trying to decipher the picture, boys. So you guys are the ones in Idaho, uh, lucky enough to go out hunting whilst we all were back here slaving away. Uh, tell us about your successful hunt. We had an incredible moose paddle hunt. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a great camping trip. Is really Daryl found one. No, it was. I mean, I genuinely like. I had a blast. I mean, we all had a lot of fun. We're, we're, you, Duck, and Daryl, right? Yeah, the two of us, and then Daryl's uh, brother Dustin, who. I literally sometimes forget it's Dustin because everyone calls him Duck. But um, um, we're like we have a couple of spots in the country that we go hunting regularly, and we and we genuinely don't talk about them very much because they're pretty good, and there's not a lot of people there. But everyone listening should absolutely go chase mule deer in Unit 62A in Idaho. <laughs> we're gonna um, get responses to say you guys did it wrong. There are, there are, oh no, absolutely. That's, and we'll fully admit that. Okay. Here's the one thing that you cannot say. And a hundred percent, like Daryl walked more than, than anyone else. Um, and then not always the case, but I definitely, Duck really was like, there's no deer here. And so he spent a fair amount of time in the truck or the side-by-side. But we I walked, put, I walked 62.5 miles. Really? Holy smokes. In a week? 
I mean, I covered, I covered a lot of ground. No, and, five days of hunting. And I have never, ever been in the woods and not seen animals like I did there. Like, and I'm not even talking just mule deer. Like, like it was, it was a, a stretch to see squirrels. And I mean, there just wasn't a lot of activity. It was, it was really, really weird. It was was there really a big burn? Had it been a big burn in there? No. <laughs> no. Burn, burn would have been welcome. So you could have seen more than 25 yards. Yeah. It, I mean, it was, it's extremely thick and a lot of bear sign. Right, a lot of bear sign and a lot of wolf sign. I think bears and wolves were probably one factor in the thing. Um, The unit honestly has a lot of quality roads. Now, there's still some very remote parts to it, um, but I think it's probably a fairly popular road hunting unit. Um, And we were in the second week, so you know the those those locals that do spend that do burn gasoline looking for deer um a lot of the caribou targi is paved roads i mean it, it was weird to me mm. that you would get way up in these places just dozens and dozens of miles from a town and the road was still a nice paved road through the forest mm. um but i think i think that combined with uh i got minus Yellowstone, um, I 100% saw the first grizzly I've ever seen alone. Like it was me and the grizzly were there, um, and this I don't know, week. I don't know what effect that has on. Uh, and then certain parts of the area, I mean, a lot of wolf sign. Like you could tell that there was eight, ten, ten twelve wolves going down a path. <clears throat> So I, I don't know how much effect all of those factors had on it, you know, but uh, we, we did see mule deer and we saw the mule deer sign wasn't rare, right? Like, so you did see mule deer sign, like wolf sign. Yeah, we saw you just a couple didn't see any animals. We, we, we saw a couple of decent bucks, but, you know, zero opportunity at a shot, busted them, busted them out and... We're in thick, thick woods. Um, Daryl got glances of their heads. Um, but I, I really don't think we were doing it wrong. And it sure as shit was – he did 60-some miles and I did 51. In, and, and at elevation, right? I mean, it wasn't gnarly. I'm not trying to say we were at the top <laughs> of the Tetons or anything. But we went – I mean, a couple of times we definitely gained 1,000-plus feet in elevation – going up places we i have full confidence that anyone that wants to tell me we were doing it wrong cannot tell us we didn't try that that's mm-hmm. the point i'm trying to get across so there wasn't opportunities for like open glassing out across the valley to there see was, a buck bedded on the other side and get in a position The you know where that picture cody took of you know right after i got or actually right before i found that paddle was the only point that we crossed where we got to an elevation and there was, there was enough open ground that we could visibly, like I spotted a buck down at what, 900 and something yards. We had climbed this ridge all the way up to the top to get up on this, this area the day one, we, we jumped these two bucks. So we came in from a different way, hoping that, you know, we, we might get an opportunity at him. And on the way up this ridge back, 
we, we spotted a, a buck down in the bottom where we had just come, you know, a little bit ways away, um, mm-hmm. you know, in just a small little opening. But there was no opportunity, at least in the area we were in. And we were hunting 62A, you know, right out of uh, Ashton, Idaho. And, and there's just no spots unless you're on a private, you know, on one of the farms, you know, right there that butts up against the, the mountains. But like we, we just, you, there was nowhere to, to spot. We actually dropped a bunch of mule deer in those farms. Uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we never got down there to that area. Um, you know, cause I mean, just frustrates you, it, you know, you just didn't want to get into that. So, but we dropped our spotting scopes on day two. Yeah. It was just, there was no opportunity. I mean, really the farthest you were going to observe the binos were well within, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. effective. The, the, the binos were effective for everything we were, we were looking at. So let me ask you this. Were you guys trophy hunting? No, uh, it, it diminished as the week progressed, the qualifications of a, of a deer that we were going to harvest. I, I very much, uh, what are the restrictions on harvest in that unit? Is there restrictions? Um, we had, we had antlered deer tags, antlered mule deer tags. Okay. Um, there were, we ran into one really nice local who was kind of, you know, look, you know, he didn't have any intention to getting out of his truck, but he was, he had a white tail tag. So obviously there's other options and, but we had an antlered mule deer tag. Um, and by Thursday, by the time Thursday rolled around, just needed a bump on its head as far as I was concerned. Um, but no, there's, I mean, we, we went, uh, I laid eyes on three bucks and none of them was there ever an opportunity for a shot again, mm-hmm. a lot more sign. I would absolutely welcome anyone that's listening to this. Um, I would welcome advice, you know, um, send us a text at 620-860-4804 um, and let me know if you've hunted 62A or that part of the country. Don't – I don't really need – I mean, I, 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 know, I know how to – I've successfully hunted mule deer before. Um, I don't need you to start with the exact basics, but would love to hear from someone who dis- – <laughs> who loves to hear from someone who disagrees about our, uh, our diagnosis of that unit. So I'm intrigued at the thought dilemma. Maybe it was maybe it's not a dilemma, but I'm intrigued by the process, the evolution of day one being all about the trophy, which would again, I've never hunted mule deer, so I'm just I'm talking from what I've seen and heard people talk about, you know, a nice four by four or whatnot, two, three days later, four days later saying, I'm gonna take a spike. Uh, it wasn't really, I mean, it wasn't that literal for me. It was just, I would, I, I'm at a point, I've shot, you know, maybe uh, 12 to 15 mule deer in my life. Um, and the, they've all been uh, does or, you know, what would be considered a small buck. Okay. Um, and so... You were listed, You were going, you were taking a step up. You were saying, that, you know, if... This hunt, I want to take something better. I, it was this hunt I'm willing to uh, 
past something smaller the first couple of days, um, I still, I, I told these guys by, you know, by day three, day four, I'm, I'm putting meat in the freezer. Um, and that didn't even, mm-hmm. that opportunity, the, the last afternoon, Duck and I decided to grouse hunt. And that was, we, we did successfully grouse hunt um, and ate some grouse the last night in camp that we, that we fried up while Daryl was still out putting on the miles chasing the big muley mule deer bucks but uh what about you daryl trophy going in have you killed a mule deer before oh yeah i've, I've killed i've killed some some nice mule deers but yeah i wasn't shooting anything that that wasn't a four by four you know I, I i just i don't need the meat right now and i and I, my whole goal to be honest with you which is the reason why one of those two four by fours on day one didn't get dropped because I had an opportunity was my brother has never shot a mule deer and he was behind me. So, you know, really at the end of the day, I, I, I was hoping to get him on to a buck is, is what I was trying to do. Now, as the days went by and, and, you know, he kind of messed his knee up a little bit and he wasn't as mobile and I was out on my own. Then obviously I was hunting for myself, but, um, I only saw the two bucks on the first day. I mean, and they were nice four by fours. Um, and one of them had some junk on him. I just didn't have a good opportunity to, to, you know, to put any long time, you know, an eye on him for, for very long. But, um, and then the one, when we were hiking up that ridgeback, that's the only horns I saw the entire time, other than that moose paddle that I found and stuck on my, on my pack the rest of the time. And I've hunted mule deer my whole life. That's, that's the one animal that I've hunted my whole life. And I, when I say it was eerily strained, the lack of deer in that area, it's a couple things. One, because you saw the sign, right? There was, you, you know, you go a while and you wouldn't see any sign at all. And then obviously you'd stumble into a bedding ground or, you know, a, a, a heavily traveled trail. And you could see some fairly recent sign. Um, we, they had a snow up there a couple days before we got there. So, you know, when we rolled in, we had we had a good ability to see that there was animals in the area. Mm-hmm. But there was no normal patterns. You know, I sat on multiple open areas in the evenings and the morning hoping for, you know, a deer moving from you know, yeah. water or food to the bedding areas and never saw anything. We mm-hmm. jumped a lot of, you know, pears, uh, you know, does and, and fawns, well, not fawns, but younger, younger, yeah, younger deer, you know, we jumped a lot of that in the trees, but, but nothing, you know, really nothing with horns except that day one. Mm-hmm. The problem was in that area that we saw those four bys, those, those two four by fours was a lot of bear activity. Like I had a bear following me for, I don't even know how long for at least 900 meters of me moving through the willows and the thick pines. And he never showed himself, but I could hear him and he was moving around and you know, the sign was everywhere. Fresh bear sign tracks. I mean, trees are tore up. Like, like it was a heavily trafficked area for bears. I didn't see much wolf traffic up on top where, where I'm talking about, but I seen a lot of wolf down in some of the other areas that we were heard in. a bunch of wolves howling. You know what? We didn't hear any. Yeah. Mm. That, that was another strange thing. And we were, our camp was 
this is an estimate, but our camp was probably eight miles as the crow flies from the park from Yellowstone. Um, and the, the, the closer you got to the, the, the restricted hunting area before the park, um, back down in that area, the wolf sign got real heavy. But also, honestly, we never really made an attempt at night. We were, I at least was, by the time it got dark, I was ready for bed. I don't, I don't <laughs> walk 10 to 12 miles around the mountains on a daily basis. And I was wore out. We, so we didn't do that, but yeah, the, the deer thing was eerie. Even the, you know, when you were driving in the morning to a spot to get out of the truck and go walk, you didn't see that. You didn't see that doe and that fawn standing in the clearing off of the, you didn't see any of that. They were very, mm -hmm. very, uh, I think it had to be wolf pressure, maybe predator pressure, human pressure. Since you said you were in the second week, yeah, I think all that stuff together. I, I I really don't want to dog the unit. I think there's probably been some great deer taken out of there, and probably will be some more. But uh, it, it was excellent. beautiful. I mean, the area was gorgeous. I mean, it, just a beautiful place to hunt by by far. But mm. Yeah, no, I, no. Went, I went to a level of scare. I probably I was still hunting. On, I think, the third day, we separated by about a half mile apiece and still hunted across this valley. And I was standing completely still. I was actually sitting down next to a tree and heard something coming, like, out ahead of me and off to my left. Got excited. It was the kind of place where you were, like, every time you moved, you got re-excited. You thought, this mm -hmm. is going to be it. It just, everything was right. Um, and then I got in my binos, and it was not a deer it was a I, I don't have I, I can't judge a bear I can't judge a black bear this was not a black bear um but I would guess from black bears that I'd looked at that this was like a five to six hundred pound grizzly um about 150 yards out through a lot of trees um and I I stood up just so trying to hope that I could see it better and it just paralleled me as I stood there Mm -hmm. with a can of bear spray in one hand and a pistol in the other hand, just standing in the middle of this semi-clearing up against this tree. And, you know, it, it, it makes the hair stand up on the back. I mean, that's a, you know, it. I've seen him in Yellowstone before, but I've never seen one outside of that, right, you know, that environment where I'm 50 yards from the car in binos looking at him. Um, and then, no kidding, it, it never it never once acknowledged me. And then it walked off down a hill and for this split second, I relaxed and then I'm not shitting you. I got more nervous than I like now that now I, now I don't even, I can't see it anymore. I don't know where mm -hmm. it's at. That was the part mm -hmm. that I went and I, I did a big roundabout and was actually late to the rendezvous point on that because of, uh, I decided to give him a way head because he was walking the same general <laughs> direction I was supposed to go. I gave him a big head start and, covered some other ground but that part of it was cool we got really close to moose multiple times um awesome the the first grouse i ever successfully hunted in my life and we took them straight back to camp and chopped them up and fried them and ate them and they were delicious um so great trip, but but uh the mule deer won for sure on us mm-hmm well you know next year hopefully uh i'll crack an invite you know to to something like that. Hey, you're you're invited. I got two. I got two more chances at mule deer left this year. 
Well, awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, let's. Um, we seem to have some text messages that have come in that we're super excited about. Uh, still, some text messages coming in at uh, 620-860-4804. If you want to text message us any thoughts, questions, comments, uh, comments about Daryl's hair, uh, Cody's lack of trophy hunting ability, just let us you know let us know any of that kind of stuff. But we did have a text come in uh, specifically tied to some controversial news this week in which the Dane County judge in the state of Wisconsin put a block, a, um, what's the judicial term, Cody, put a, mm, a injunction, put an injunction, injunction, an injunction on the wolf season, the fall wolf season that was starting in November. And so as such right now, the DNR, the Wisconsin DNR, cannot uh, move forward a wolf season. And the text message we got was from Dave. And Dave said, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on judge blocking the wolf season in Wisconsin. Do you both think it's because of the given reason or because of special interest group pressure? Carver. Um, well, the, I read three different articles on it to just try and get a little bit of a a variation on 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 the reporting of it and i didn't i didn't necessarily get the feeling that that they were pushing that the judge was was bowing to a you know interest group that just didn't want wolves to be hunted i think he was focusing more on the legality of it not just for the wolves, but also for the hunters to ensure that, you know, longevity, if you're going to hold these, these hunts there to make sure that they're done in the right way. And there's a management, you know, a management plan in place. So I think based on what I read again, um, not as knowledgeable about the Wisconsin wolf problem as I probably should be, but, um, I don't want to, I'm all for hunting wolves in an environment that needs it, needs them to be hunted. So I don't think it's a bad thing to have a management plan in place. If you're going to hold the hunt that helps regulate the numbers, like there has to be some data and science that tells the DNR the numbers that they're going to need to hunt to be able to manage the, the population. And I think a key aspect of that I read in there is that the tribe that gets, um, and, and I definitely don't want to, to hack up the name of the tribe, but they sit on their quotas. They don't hunt them. That is correct. They, have, they were very, they have been very public facing about the fact that they will receive wolf uh, quota, but they will not uh, take that wolf quota. Right. And I think that I, to me, if I'm the DNR, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, in, you know, I'm instituting a legitimate management program for the wolf species. I need to take that into account. And I think that this judge, based on what I read again, is he just threw the bullshit flag that, you know, Hey, you got to do the, you got to do it the right way. If you're going to do it that way, is you, you protect both sides, right? The wolf Right. Lovers and the hunters who are trying to mm-hmm. you know, manage the species at the level mm-hmm. that they're currently that mm-hmm. having. I, I would I would argue that it wasn't a bullshit flag, but I want to hear from Cody first. Um, I don't I mean, as to what this individual judge's motivations are, it's hard to say, but I think it's. I think it's crucial 
that when our side fucks up, we admit it. All right. I I think, and I a hundred percent. You, there's no doubt that I wish that there was going to be a Wisconsin wolf hunt this fall. Okay, because there are enough wolves in Wisconsin that they need to be managed. That's right. That's a fact. But the last almost 10 months now, specifically in Wisconsin, um, has been a little bit of a goat rope surrounding mm-hmm. the wolf discussion. You know, I, I – they rushed that early season hunt, which a lot of people are calling it last year's hunt, but it, it was actually a, it was a 2021 hunt in the first part of this year. Yep. Um, they rushed it. Um, then, and I'm not saying the rushing was bad. I, I don't know about that, but it was definitely pushed hard and rushed. And then they went over quota. We can have this whole, was it, 17% or 105%, whatever right, it was, right, right. because because if you if you include the Indian quota, they didn't go very far over, but they did go quite a ways over the non-tribal quota. Agreed. Um and I it's hard to fault this judge for saying kind of seems to me like you guys need to get your ducks in a row concerning this national, this natural resource that we have and, and, and get a plan. Um, now I truly don't know. And then you've got, you've also got the citizen advisory council. What they, 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 they went for 300. I'll mess my numbers up. I think the citizen advisory council advised 300 and then the DNR comes back and says no one 30. And then, I don't want to badmouth anybody in Wisconsin at all. I, I like Wisconsin. Um, and I wish that they were having a, a wolf hunt this fall, but it kind of seems like maybe a quick step back, take a breath and, and get, get some science based information driving our decisions here is not a bad idea. I feel like we're, we're, we're going to get annihilated. Um, but no, you're not going to get annihilated. And that's what I was saying to Carver. Carver, you know, when I said I don't think it's bullshit, I think I think the judge acknowledged a couple of things. Number one, he acknowledged that the wolf season, the wolf hunt, is lawful. It, it's part of what happens once it got delisted. He he acknowledged that. Right. He also acknowledged, to Cody's point, that hey guys, your wolf season in 2012, your wolf season in 2014, and your latest wolf season were all done under the jurisdiction of an emergency rule, and as such, you really don't have management policies in place for permanent regulations around wolf management in the state of Wisconsin, which you have for every other wildlife species in the country, in in that state as well as the country. They don't just operate on a la-di-da, let's just figure it out. So to your point, Carver, and to Cody's point, it is an opportunity for the DNR, and they were, and to, and to, give, to, be, to give DNR props here, before the, the forced spring hunt, they were working on a 2022 wolf management plan. And that's what they're working on right now. And they've got time to execute that wolf management plan. And once it gets produced and it gets voted on by the commission and implemented by the DNR, then your permanent regulations are in place. And they can do it in, in a time frame by which 
a spring hunt could be possible uh, on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. I, I, again, I, I think that to probably echo exactly what Cody said and what you're saying, I, I mean, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. It's not, you know, especially in a such a, a controversial political environment when you're dealing with something like this, right? Like, like maybe the snowshoe rabbit hunt, you can flop that one a little bit, right? But, but the wolf hunt, you might want to come to the table with everything in line to ensure that, that there isn't, you know, a judge throwing it out. I get, and that's, that's the thing that got me every article that I read on this. That was my, my view on it is I done, I did not think that the judge was wrong in what he did in any way, shape or form. And I think that if you're going to, if you're going to push something as controversial as a wolf hunt, you have to have your ducks in a row. Now, the other thing to, to Dave's question, it's an interesting one because it's a chicken and eggs type scenario, right? The articles that we read are typically either biased towards the anti-hunter or towards the hunter. And so that article makes it sound like, hey, we made it known that they're currently unlawful. They're currently not operating under what the typical Wildlife Act statutes require. Hey, judge, you should know about this. Oh, judge acted on it. Right. Yeah, and so, that's... that's um... Again, if, if, if a group that we are at odds with points out a truth, it's still a truth, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and that's, uh, to me, that's the, the, the downfall of, of the United States right now that, oh, Robbie's a Democrat and he said that the sky is blue. Oh, now I, you're really going to cause controversy. I need to find a way. To, I, I I need to find a way to argue that the sky is sometimes hazy colored, right? That's mm -hmm. and e even if there was special interest groups pointing out that possibly Wisconsin needs to take a breath and get their ducks in a row. Um, if that's right, it's still right. It doesn't matter who's saying it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, moving one from one controversial wildlife species to another. Well, hold on. Thanks, Dave. Dave. Oh, being, yeah. Thanks, Dave. Exactly. Thank you, Dave, for that text message. Dave being our first one, like, I think up to this point, all of our other text messages were people text messaging us just so we got some text messages. <laughs> so thanks to Dave for throwing a solid discussion topic on the table. And, uh, you are currently winning the race for best text messenger of the year so far. Nice one, Dave. Nice one, Dave. Well, as I said, moving from one predator to another, um, Washington State spring bear season. Currently, Washington State Game and Fish is having a public input session that has been extended in its comment period to the day that this podcast is going to drop. This podcast will be dropping on Monday, November the 1st. If you're listening to this podcast and you've listened this far, this, this far, um, we need you to go on the Washington Game and Fish 
black bear public input and you can literally just google exactly what i just said and you'll get to the website in which they need to hear from you now a lot of people look at this and think that it's actually because we typically always talk about regulation that is going against hunting this is actually an amendment to the regulations that off it is for hunting it is for a recreational spring bear season and as such they need hunters to come out on mass in support of it otherwise the anti-hunters that are on there right now and you can actually see everyone's public comment and so you can see the anti-hunting sentiments and rhetoric in there may have a voice may get a, a wedge in the door yeah yeah i think that's a good thing um i'm gonna branch off real I'm, I'm, we're gonna stay on black bears yeah, but for, I have this it, was, it was very obvious that you were just like yeah okay robbie i need no, to no, get my point there no, now this is what i this is a conversation <laughs> topic that's been brewing in my mind and this brought it up like I live in Colorado. I'm jumping into this conversation with uh, completely unburdened by data. Okay. But in Colorado, it is very, very, very easy to get a black bear tag. Okay. Like I can walk into the gun shop, I believe as a resident, it's like $41. Okay. But there's no baiting and there's no use of hounds. Okay. Here's the conversation piece, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tie this back to Washington very much. I didn't mean to leave that, but the black bear, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Kroger, I'm not though. The black bear is doing very well. In, I love in, all these caveats tonight. In the United States. I'm, I'm two bird dogs. I have, no, so. I, have, I have no data, so what I'm going to say is truth, and Dr. Kroger, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know I'm not wrong. Yeah, I'm not wrong, and I've had enough whiskey tonight. The black bear is doing very well in the United States. The black bear is doing very well in the state of Colorado, okay? Like, bordering on too well. I would argue this. It's going to be a tough statistic to find. But what state are black bears not doing well in? No, yeah, yeah. It, but that statement plays into my point. Here's the question. And if you put a... For those of you that have never hunted a black bear, charging out of your house, getting in your truck with a rifle, and going to find a black bear to shoot, that's a damn thing. That's a thing. That's a really, really hard task to accomplish. There is a, unless you can use an aid of a bait or dogs. Very few black bears are killed otherwise, and when I say very few, I mean in comparison, are killed without those two aids mm -hmm. across the United States every year. Does does implementing a spring season in Washington, what does it actually accomplish for management? That's what I'm asking. Because it's 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 nearly impossible. I, I don't want to say that. There's people that do it. I know people that do it. But it's very, very hard to harvest a black bear. Black bears are genuinely scared shitless of human beings. And I, here's the best example I have of this. Both of you were there. 
I harvested a not that big, but not a cub black bear in Maine one time. And my wife just made a noise from across the house like she thinks it might have been a cub. It was not a cub, okay? When we went to town to check that bear in, people came over and looked at it that had lived there forever and never seen a bear, right? And there's a lot of bears in this region of Maine. I mean, a bunch. So does putting that spring season in if you can't bait or chase them with dogs, accomplish anything in the management world besides generating revenue with tags? Well, I know that this is, there's some areas in this Washington um, in this Washington regulation that have high human wildlife conflicts with bears, and they've increased the tags in that area. Um, I do know that. Again, I've never, as you have pointed out, on multiple. Yeah, you're like seven, eight attempts in, right? Multiple podcasts. I'm not the most proficient bear hunter in the world. <laughs> um, but, you know, the whole green slope coming out of the dens kind of deal. Um, and, and, and honestly, at the end of the day, it's almost like we've we've talked about before. Bears, predators are are the gate. They're guarding the gates, essentially, right? So us losing Washington State losing a spring bear season, regardless of whether or not it's bloody hard to hunt a bear without hounds or without a bait. We want to fight for it every single day because if we lose it, it's just a notch in the belt of the antes, and we know that it is the it is the gateway into the rest of it. They just start with bears, essentially. Just oh like yeah, they did in California. Hundred percent. Go go give your input that Washington should have a spring. That's not what I meant to say. I mean, what what I meant to say is, I think that I think we're. This is what I think. I'm going to make a, a a forecast, and I could be wrong, but I think. That we're the states that don't allow baiting, the states that don't allow dogs, I think there's going to be a reconsideration period because the bear populations are absolutely exploding. Hunters are buying the tags, but the success rates, I mean, I would just challenge anyone to go out into a state that has bears and and get us a picture of a black bear. It's very, very, very hard to do. And if you can't get a picture of them, then then you can't harvest them. You can't manage them um, with a hunter method. And uh, I, I think there's a there's a uh, a bit of a discussion that's coming rapidly on the states that don't allow baiting or dogs because neither of those things even are a guarantee that you're going to get a black bear. Robbie's living evidence of that. And Jeez. and uh, it's it's very very difficult and. Uh, I'm know. telling you, anybody from Canada who's listening to this, I'm going to Canada and I'm going to see 50 bears and I'm going to kill two. And then this discussion will be over. <laughs> yeah, because where you were at in Maine wasn't good bear country at all. That's the problem. You weren't in good bear country. Okay. That was sarcasm, folks. Craig Corsi, Grove Hill Outfitters, phenomenal. Phenomenal. 
phenomenal bit of Unless you have a South African accent and somehow you can't kill one up there with him. Hey, don't, don't, I, I've been up there twice and haven't killed one. You went up there for a hunt and a quarter of a hunt. Robbie's been up there 11 years in a row and can't get one. <laughs> well, look, that's, that's, since you brought it up, and it's an appropriate time to talk about it, uh, it does feel like 11 years. But today, October the 27th, that we are recording this podcast is the actual four-year anniversary of Blood Origins. I cannot believe that. Like, I honestly cannot. Because, again, think about it from a bear. Like, the bear hunt literally is the anchor. Right, four years ago today, I went on my first bear hunt, not 11 years, with Craig Corsa. And then the following year is when I met you guys. And it's just like, I can't, it, it feels like so much longer, but shit a brick. How much have we accomplished in four years? We got this badass podcast now. That's right. We got badass people that, uh, that are helping with Blood Origins now. Yeah, exactly. I've successfully killed one mule deer since then in about nine freaking tries. <laughs> well, Carver, since you you diligently read all of the articles that came into your inbox multi you know moons ago because Cody was on his on his A game. Hold on. Where do you want Wait, to hold on? First of all, I'm the one that asked for that access, so technically I was on my A game. But I granted okay. it. And it took that's him a while to actually give it to me. I had to ask for it multiple times. But yeah, go ahead. Well, that's not, not surprising, right? We have to ask Cody to do things many, many, many times. But when he gets them Where done, do they're done well. <laughs> Where do you want to start? We, we can go to Australia. We can go to the UK. We can go to northern Kenya. We can go to Mozambique. I think my... I think the most interesting uh, article that I was going through was the tuskless elephants. Hundred percent agree. I it I thought I I found that article absolutely. I mean, just interesting. We're about to get we're about to get into the science, folks. If you don't like the science, because I got some questions on this one, and sometimes I have my own evolutionary theories, and they're about to come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either cancel out now, give us a five star uh, rating yeah, and yeah. a review um, before Cody starts laying down his his science smackdown when it comes to tusk elephants. You, you mm. know what's what's brilliant about this article? Number one, it's published in Science. For those of you that are not in the scientific field, there are two the top two peer reviewed scientific publications in the world are science and nature and to get published in either one of them is is a feat and a half if i was a science i am a scientist if i was still an academician and got published in science it would be a huge deal the university would celebrate me it's a huge deal is what i'm trying to explain to you it also does not legitimize the science because any science can be you know falsified but it does legitimize the science in terms of where it gets published. And you can be assured that it has been significantly peer-reviewed, i.e. people with, an, with a, a non-biased look and are, very, and are looking at the data very objectively have looked at it and said, yes, it passes 
our standard when it comes to science. Do go ahead. I was going to add one more thing. Whilst you're thinking about it, I'll add one more thing. Number one, the thing that I want to add is that this idea of tuskless elephants being created because of hunting has been used against hunting. Anti-hunters have used it. There's a couple of bogus studies that have shown it that scientists have actually debunked to show that, hey, hunting really could not have led to this uh, evolutionary change in a, a sort of genotype, the genetics of an, of an animal itself. And I apologize, I've got a massive storm front coming through me right now. Um, but this, this study is actually spot on. It is. You think, here's the issue I have, or here's, this is not even an issue. I, I have no gripes because I've never once claimed to understand science more than my dog does. But as poaching is actively happening, how can that not skew the results of this study? That's my question. Does, does the question make sense? question makes sense. And I will argue it this way, that poaching is currently not active. And not active, and, let me, and when I say not active, it's not active to the extent that it was during the Civil War of Mozambique. So you've got to remember the context here. 1974, my grandparents were in Mozambique. All hunting stopped. Monstrous civil war broke out in Mozambique, uh, ravaged the landscape. Uh, ivory poaching came in. Ivory poaching was rampant. Poaching for the pot, you name it, wildlife got decimated. Now, in that poaching scenario, you can imagine the guys that were in that were after po after the elephants were going after anything that had ivory sticking out of their uh, uh, out of their out of their uh, mouths. And so you had this very, very short and a reduction in population in a very short period of time of animals that all had tusks. And it turns out just like eye color, just like hair color, just like anything is tied to your genes, it's tied to your genetic code. And it turns out that you do have in elephants a chromosomal feature that is... Uh, um, What's the word? Does that does have a, a, an expression of tusklessness? And so what happened is that in a very simplified manner, those animals that had and expressed that gene of tusklessness were the ones left on the landscape, especially the females. And that has caused a proliferation now, today, when the science was undertaken, of this much larger majority of tusklessness in this elephant population in Gorongosa and Mozambique. I'm still not buying it, but I'm going to continue to be open-minded. Why, no, why don't you buy it? Why don't no, you buy it? Because here's, here's what I, you said poaching is inactive now. That's not true. There's still uh, poaching, poaching is, in... is happening in the, in the one to 10 elephant range a year. One to a hundred elephants a year. 
1970, it was happening at the scale of 20 to 50,000 a year. And when you, when you okay, look at the percentage of the population that was being skewed, you have to look at it as a percentage of the population. Okay, when you throw those two numbers out, it, it's starting to clear up for me a little bit. But is it still not possible that there's less tusk-bearing elephants? Some of that factor is because of active poaching as no. opposed to a change in the genetic pool. Yeah. No, it is a change in the genetic pool. Think of it the way that I, the easiest way to explain it is think of it like a bottleneck of a bottle. I, I got the bottle think part of, after you said bottleneck. Yeah. Your blackberry whiskey has a, has a, a narrow neck, right? Exactly. And so the elephant population went into this narrow neck period where there was a very small, small amount of the population mm -hmm. that had a very skewed genetic disposition for tusklessness. And as they came out of the Civil War today, wildlife is starting to flourish because of protection measures, especially like in a place like Gorongosa. And now that bottle is now starting to open up. And because of that genetic expression of tusklessness, you're seeing less tusks in elephants. Now, I don't totally agree with the conclusions of the study, which says that there's going to be a knock-on effect in the ecosystem. Um, tusks are very important for stripping bark and whatnots. Elephants do have, you know, they're, they're, they're weighty individuals, so they can knock down trees themselves. Will there be any habitat implications because of the lack of tusks? I don't know. I don't know how big of an impact yeah. they'll have, especially because they can knock them down just by sheer force. Yeah, that part of it seemed to me – that's the part of it that, that set off alarms for me, that made it seem like, okay, now they've come back around to – It's going to affect the ecosystem. Right, right. It's it's yeah. uh, it, we've got a great recovery of elephants, but it's still bad. That that that's what it seemed like to me. It's still not good because they're the wrong kind of elephants. That's the part that triggered it as a as a leap to me of making it a bad thing. I think yeah. one. I think one of the pieces that, uh, for me that was interesting was the. The concept of the male fetuses being aborted, or not aborted, but miscarriage, or miscarried based on that chromosome abnormality. I, I mm -hmm. thought, to me, that I thought that was, was uh, I don't know if it was an assumption. I don't know what kind of data they have to, to, to support that, but how that led to an increase in females with the gene of tusklessness, which further drives that gen, you know, that, that, that change in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Um, and, and you're right, Kava, you have to make sure you have to understand that these authors were making sort of hypothetical assumptions. And that's what they, that was their hypothesis. Their hypothesis was that, you know, because of this altered gene to become tuskless when passed to a male embryo, it almost short-circuited their development in some sort of fashion. And so they thought, 
again, and he even said that we think. Right. And when someone says we think, this is a hypothesis. We're just couching, you know, that we don't know at all. And they 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 hypothesize that sons or male uh, elephants likely die early in development and from a miscarriage kind of deal. Yeah. So, but an incredible study, very well done, published in Science. And here's the best thing about it: when I looked through the articles, BBC, CNN, CNBC, there were a lot of different places that published this article. It was probably one out of 10, only one that I found that actually misrepresented it. Everyone got it right, except for the BBC out of the UK. So everyone got it right that it was hunt, it was poaching that resulted in this. Okay, so we need to cover that really quickly. I'm going to throw you a softball there, Dr. Kroger. Why, if poaching, if poaching tusked animals affects the gene pool of those animals, why does hunting tusk animals not? It's a simple equation of quantity. Uh, when you are hunting tusked animals, number one, you're hunting aged animals that have pushed their genetics back into the population. So you're not causing, you're not taking animals out when they're 5, 10, 15 years old, pre preventing them from putting that genetic code into the population that does breed for large tusked animals. You're taking it out at 60, 70, 80 years old kind of deal. Number one. Number two you're only taking out 0.001% of the population uh, in terms of the elephants on quota in any given country. Uh, the percentage is very, very low. And from a poaching perspective, it's the opposite. Poachers are indiscriminate to who they take and what they take, indiscriminate to age and sex. And number two, they are very much a quantity business, not a... Not an, not an individual business. I don't know why I'm getting an echo all of a sudden. We all are. No, I'm not here. The internet, the internet's tired of hearing you talk about elephants. Let's move on to the next article. <laughs> well, we're at an hour, man. We're gonna have to keep these, 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 uh, the rest of these for next week for our esteemed guest next week. Who do we have next week, Cody? Uh, Julie. Appreciate you putting me on the spot, Julie McQueen. Owner of, or, or founder of uh, President CEO, CEO very, and President. She's very important to Carbon TV. Yeah, CEO and President of Carbon TV. That's the BlackBerry talking, uh, ladies and gentlemen. BlackBerry obviously coming through from We didn't cover any admin things. Go to bloodorigins.com and buy lots of t-shirts. Um, join the supporters program. Robbie, do you got you got supporters program uh, October prizes in front of you? Well, I don't because when this drops, it'll be November. And uh, we have a couple of really cool things in November. We have a Gunner Kennel, complete Gunner Kennel package, including like uh, the dog food, the, the, the fan, the kennel itself in one of their new Flyway series. We have, since duck season's around the corner, we have a a call by Resurrection Calls or Toxic Calls. Uh, we have a Carbon Unwind. 
given that Julie's coming on, a carbon unwind uh, year membership. Uh, duck call by S2 calls. We have some marsupial gear. And we have an amazing, amazing hunt. We have a Springbok slam in the Eastern Cape. You know what the Springbok slam is, Cody, Daryl? Let's, let's hear it. It's the, the black, the, um, uh-huh. I don't know what you would call the original Springbok, just a regular, the, regular, yeah. The white and the, um, uh, I don't know what color you would call it, brown. No. Starts with a C. Caramel. <laughs> Please, anybody from South Africa listening to this, I apologize for Cody. Uh, it is copper. Copper. The copper yeah. springbok. Caramel. Caramel. Yeah. What the hell? Caramel. Oh what my a great God. opportunity, though. I once Great opportunity. Watched, I once watched Daryl shoot a spring bug. Good. I assume that means you have not shot one yet? I have not, but don't count Next me year. out. Don't count Next me year. out as being done yet. Yeah, so we got some great prizes on the on the on the horizon for November and then um stay tuned. We've got a great, great twenty five days of Christmas uh in December. And uh, folks, last thing we'll say is November is, is the giving month. Uh, we're all leading up to the last Tuesday of the month, which is Giving Tuesday for nonprofits. And uh, we really appreciate your support. Anything you could do to help us do what we do, um, please reach out to us and, um, and help us. Daryl, mm-hmm. any last words? No, I appreciate you guys having me on again. Well, I appreciate the blonde locked flowiness that you brought to the, the podcast. Cody, I don't know what to say about you. You just are blackberried up. You to take that heat lamp off, whatever it is. That's- yeah, I don't know. It's like you look like you're I don't know sunburned. What, I don't know what's causing that. I'm not nearly that red, but it does look like it on the screen here. All right. Thanks, boys. Later. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Oh, that's awesome! Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.